EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast, exploring the emerging future in Europe. I'm Oya Jordanian, an outreach coordinator at BU Center for the Study of Europe. Today is September 8th, and I talk to Barbara Boschetti, a professor of administrative law at the Catholic University of Milan, Italy. Um, uh, so, my name is Barbara Boschetti, I come from Italy, and uh, I am a professor of administrative law at the uh, Faculty of Political and Social Sciences of the um, Catholic University of Milan. And I study, um, um, I have many uh, fields of interest, uh, mainly administrative procedures is my last and most recent field of interest, but also environmental law, land use, and many other fields of research interest. Yeah. Wonderful. So what is the future emerging in Europe? <laughs> um, after Brexit, maybe it's a tough question, this one. But uh, I'm quite positive uh, on this side, and um, uh, I think Brexit won't stop the uh, federalistic process. Uh, maybe uh, it will uh, strengthen the federalistic process. It's now clear to all member states um, that yes, a, a step forward is needed. Uh, we need to change pace and, and so this is the time we have to, to do it, I think. Um, despite this and this notwithstanding, I think that um, Europe maybe is, is not going to become uh, a federal state, never. Um, I think it will remain as it is, so a, a sort of ongoing um, federalistic process. Uh, this is quite, this is this kind of structure, I think is much more um, contemporary, modern, flexible. Um, and so I think that uh, Europe uh, will never become a federal state as the United States are. Um, they will strengthen the, their connections, the interrelation among all components. But I think the final um, result won't never be uh, a federal state. So how do you see the future of democracy in the European Union. Because in democratic societies, there is an open, open, for, for f- open possibilities for future. How do you see that in the European Union? Oh, well, um, I'm, uh, um, I study administrative law, and this is allow me to 
to say uh, quite interesting things. I mean, about democracy because uh, we we uh, when we study um, public law and public policies, we we have we go directly to uh, the so-called uh, ballot box democracy. So we just keep an eye on ballot box democracy. But so if we take ballot box democracy, yeah, sure, there is a problem in Europe now because uh, we do not have a fully completed uh, ballot box democracy. Uh, is not so strong. Um, we have a lot of problems um, on this side. So the European Parliament is not so strong and we have to also strengthen um, member states' parliaments. Uh, so there is this, I think, all over the world, a problem uh, uh, with ballot box democracy uh, at both, I think, the domestic and supranational levels. So that is a common problem. And I think we, we have to work on this. First of all, but we we can um, uh, I think fill some gaps uh, working on procedural democracy, uh, and that's the and that's where I can tell you something more. I, I mean, because I I, I study um, administrative procedures, uh, EU administrative procedures, and there there is something really interesting going on. Um, there are um, many changes telling us that we are really building democracy uh, through administrative procedures. I know that I'm perfectly aware of the fact that uh, you cannot just replace um, ballot box democracy with procedural democracy. They are two different things, and so you certainly have to work on both sides. Uh, but I think that um, there is something really interesting going on on the side of procedural democracy. Uh, there are new um, multi-level um, administrative procedures. Uh, so we have administrative procedures uh, that starts at the domestic level and then and they have uh, transnational um, a transnational dimension and also a, a supranational dimension. They are very flexible and so they I think they build like they work like a um, transmission belt. Uh, they, they build a sort of net uh, a network uh, all, ac all across Europe and uh, this network is very very um, flexible and so I think it's very useful for managing uh, complexity even on the side of democracy. Could you please um, explain a little bit more your understanding of procedural democracy yeah. versus versus ballot box democracy, ballot yeah. Um, well, I think that uh, we can have procedural democracy uh, even, uh, um, you know, as, even in respect 
in even with in respect to um, legislative procedures, for example. So ballot box democracy usually is uh, electoral, uh, well, focus, um, uh, focuses mainly on the elect, uh, electoral system uh, and the political system, uh, and so it focuses on elections. This is so uh, the, the the place for uh, ballot box democracy uh, are elections mainly, but also political parties and the political system as a as a whole. Uh, when you speak uh, about um, procedural democracy, we, uh, you don't have to think only about uh, administrative procedures, agencies, and so on. We can. Uh, also um, apply uh, procedural democracy uh, to uh, the legislative power, uh, so to parliaments. And I think that is the very interesting thing, because we always have worked on procedural democracy uh, with, as regard agencies. And there we, we have done a lot of things. I mean, uh, there are a lot of changes, a lot of public participation, also very complex public participation uh, in uh, administrative procedures. So we, are, we have really worked on procedural democracy as regards agencies' action. But the problem is now to work um, on procedural democracy as regard parliament and the legislative. And that is truly important. Um, uh, we can, I think this, uh, for example, I, I think uh, of Italy. And um, if I look at Italy, there you see we have a big problem of procedural democracy as regard our parliament and um, the legislative itself. Um, it's very important to open the legislative process to the public. We cannot think that we, we can delegate uh, through uh, ballot box uh, mechanism, ballot box democracy mechanisms, uh, to our um, members of the parliament uh, decisions. Uh, public participation is needed also within the parliament and the uh, decision-making process of parliaments. And um, so somehow maybe the parliaments and um, the legislative all over Europe have to become, have to uh, make uh, policies and um, rulemaking uh, much more in, in a similar way to administrative action. Um, so we have to work, I think I want to make it simple, uh, I, we have to work um, on procedural democracy as regard parliament and the legislative. And we, we all are aware of the fact that uh, ballot box democracy is no more satisfactory. You talked about public participation. We saw in June that Brit citizens of the Great Britain 
decided to take this radical move and decided the future of Britain outside of the European Union, claiming that they have a say in choosing what kind of future they want for themselves. So how would you assess the participation of EU citizens in political processes that are going on in the European Union? Mm. This is a big issue, the one you are asking um, about. Um, I think there is a very low um, uh, and unsatisfactory participation of citizens uh, about the future of Europe. Um, all um, citizens' participation uh, ta takes place within uh, the domestic jurisdictions and so at the domestic level. And, and, and this is not enough, I think. Um, and, and that is the problem even uh, with Brexit. Uh, um, it's a domestic problem um, and was an internal political problem. Um, and so we see that citizen participation as regards the future of, of Europe is mainly a domestic problem and is not satisfactory, I think. And, uh, and Brexit uh, exactly showed us this, that uh, was a domestic problem and Europe became a way to solve a political and internal political problem. And, um, and so I think here we do have a problem. So um, we, we have a, a lot of um, uh, political interference and in, in interfering and, and domestic political um, interfering with what's going on in the in the, uh, the European Union and this is great problem and um, I think <laughs> we have to to rethink the way citizens uh, uh, can participate uh, into the into decision making processes where the uh, future of the European Union is at stake. It, it cannot be that uh, it's up to political parties to decide what's the future of, it, of Europe. And now is that, it's like that, I think. It's up to domestic political parties to decide what's the future of Europe. So do you see any ways of improving their, their participation, their level of participation? Well, um, I, I, I don't know if I'm saying something new. I, I don't want to be original in saying in what I tell you, but um, I, uh, I think that we have to work on, um, on values and on the on messages and um, uh, on what you are you are telling to citizens, um, and so here again we have maybe to come back to what Europe was after the uh, World War Two, and uh, start working from that point, 
um, I, I truly believe in values and um, as much as our societies are becoming more um, you know more integrated uh, we have a lot of people coming from abroad also in Italy in Europe uh, in all over Europe uh, a lot of immigrants and uh, migrants too um, values are the only way you can keep people together and you see it very well here in the United States uh, the uh, constitutional values are those uh, who keep uh, together people in the United States. Um, maybe it is not so values sometimes and constitutional values are not so warm. Uh, they, they do not warm us up <laughs> a lot. Uh, but I think is what we have to work on uh, from this point to from now on uh, and I think from now again we have to work on them because we have left them aside a little bit and now we have to take them back and work on on this we have to to tell something to uh, young generations I think no um, um, if you ask uh, an Italian guy Oh, what, what do you think about Europe? Uh, he probably won't tell you anything positive. Yes, it's nice, uh, I can go abroad studying, but that's the all, uh, all you can tell about Europe is not uh, enough, I think. So um, we, we have to, to work much on values. What values do you think can be can be uniting for for Europe. Um, well, markets are uh, uniting, so I think we um, we have built an, an, a huge market, and I think this market is not a place for businesses for uh, providing services. So it's not only a market in that sense; it's a place for providing. Um, democracy for providing um, freedoms and fundamental right protection uh, without borders and this is quite interesting because um, there are a lot of changes and I can tell you this from the uh, administrative law perspective so if you look at many public policy European public policies uh, you see that this great market is also a way, uh, a mean for um, spreading all over Europe uh, more democracy, more freedoms, uh, and so on. So it's here again is like a big space you have to fill uh, with whatever you want and um, there are a lot of things that uh, and a lot of uh, developments a lot of changes that tell us that uh, the European Union is spreading democracy through and the, the European Court of Justice uh, is doing a great work um, for sustaining um, the European Union on this uh, side. So uh, just for example, we can take just one example among all. 
um, there is a principle that is uh, one of the main principles of the European law, um, European primary law, uh, that is the principle of integration. And once this principle was applied only to um, the environmental protection. So uh, there was the idea that environmental protection, a high level of environmental protection, had to be granted and ensured in all European policies, throughout all European policies. But now there are many other um, values and interests um, and very important ones that need to be integrated throughout all European policies. I'm talking about labor policies, uh, social uh, policies and um, many, many others, very important ones and are very close to democracy. Uh, and, so, and so I think that the European market is not only a place for businesses, uh, is not only a place for providing uh, services, is also a place for freedoms and for uh, the free movement of freedoms and, and fundamental rights. We see some rise in nationalism in Eastern Europe. Some view this as a threat, and if we are considering the future of Europe, what what do you think? How it, what's the relation of this rise of nationalism to shaping future of Europe? Mm. Well, um, nationalisms are a threat. They are. Uh, they are not the only threat Europe is facing, but they are a, a big threat. And um, uh, is this uh, topic and this issue is strongly related to what we were saying before, that um, domestic problems are too much interfering uh, with the future of Europe. You can say that it's quite true because it's quite, I mean, normal this, because um, as, um, as much as Europe is not a federal state, uh, member states and domestic problems are relevant. And uh, we, so we don't have a clear federal level <laughs> to, to be... Um, opposite to domestic levels. But I think um, um, nationalisms are a threat uh, as much as they, um, how can we say, they, they, stop, they work towards stopping uh, Euro European integration. Uh, but they are domestic problems. And when you have too many domestic problems, <laughs> you have a lot of, how can we say, a lot of processes uh, that can work, uh, can work against the future of Europe. What's your vision of Europe? <laughs> this is a big question. A big question. Um, I'm I'm positive. I'm positive. Um, I'm positive just because um, well, 
I, I, I want to say uh, to, to, to put uh, le- well, I want to leave Brexit uh, for a moment apart. Um, the, the United Kingdom was not in was somehow in between was uh, in the uh, in between was a little bit out and a little bit in so brexit doesn't tell us uh what's the uh, if uh, tell us much about the uh, health of europe um but i'm quite positive because uh, the federalistic process ongoing in Europe is very flexible and it's so now uh, is now so uh, there is a so high uh, interconnection between all components we, we, the uh, European law is it's, it's all in one with domestic laws. You can never, we can no more make distinction be, between the two. Um, uh, administrative action is so integrated. Um, so probably, probably the problem are parliaments, <laughs> but all other components are so strictly interconnected that it's unbelievable to come back. Uh, so I think we have to think about what to do from now on and um, and we have to work on parliaments of national parliament not only on uh, on the European parliament and we have many political issues at stake so and uh, but uh, Europe Maybe it's difficult to understand this from the outside, from the U.S. Um, but when you are you, you live in Europe and you are an Italian citizen or a French citizen or a German citizen, well, you realize that all components are so strictly interconnected that it's no more possible to come back. So we have to focus on how to go on <laughs> from now on. Yes, but I'm positive because it's a very flexible system. And so can I think it, it can adapt itself to changes. And if you think that the international and global dimension um, is uh, increasingly important, and many regulatory uh, and not only regulatory processes are ongoing in the global and international dimension well you realize that um, Europe is like um, something that can rationalize this the interconnection between domestic jurisdictions and of member states and these uh, the international and global uh, dimension of uh, regulatory processes is there anything I didn't ask you about, but you want to tell? Um, no, I think we we faced a lot of uh, of topics and big issues. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank it was you. A great pleasure. <laughs> a pleasure was mine.
You've been listening to the EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University, funded by a Getting to Know Europe grant from the European Commission delegation in Washington, D.C.